Our kind Heavenly Father, we come to you again with grateful hearts. Thank you, dear Lord, for this wonderful Michigan camp meeting. Thank you for the time to come apart and uh, learn and listen. And thank you, dear Lord. And we ask now for your special presence with us in our seminar today. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, ready for the quiz? Okay, so today we just have one question. It's a very important question, and uh, it comes from yesterday's seminar. And if you have already won a book, I would like to invite you to allow someone else to answer the question. So here is the question. What is the difference between an ordained minister and a commissioned minister? What makes the difference? Who remembers? What is the difference? Who was here yesterday? Aha, we have a lady right here. And please tell us your name and where you are from. What, what city? I'm Ann Sowers, and I'm from Florida by way of Indiana in the summertime, so I came back home for camp meeting. Welcome. A commissioned minister is one that has been appointed as a local elder in his home church, and he is given the privileges of acting as a minister, where an ordained minister can do all the functions of our church as an overseer, and it's a worldwide ordination. He can go anywhere in the world and act as a minister of our church. He can do the baptism, marriages, and the communion services. That's the ordained minister, right? Yes. And yes. then the difference again for a commission minister? He has, to be a, he has to be appointed in the local church as an elder, and he can be commissioned to function as a pastor. Okay. Can a commission minister be a she? A woman? Yes. Yes. So can the woman be ordained as a local church elder? Yes. Yes. Okay, very good. Yes. When you hear, well, what's the difference? Why can't we ordain women when they do the same thing as men who are ordained? The difference is a woman commissioned minister, according to policy, can only do the functions of an ordained minister if she has been ordained as a local church elder and has been voted in and is currently serving as a local church elder in a church. And it is not a worldwide function that a commission minister can do. It is within the local church. At least that's according to policy. Uh, that may not always be what is practiced, but that is what was voted. So today, Stay tuned, by the way, because uh, tomorrow we will have another quiz and another book giveaway. So today we have a very interesting story, and uh, it's called The Case of Lulu Whiteman. The Case of Lulu Whiteman and Her Husband John. Who was Lulu Whiteman? Well... She was a woman preacher who went from place to place. She was from New York, and um, 
But before we get there, I'll tell you a little bit about her family. She had two brothers, Casey Russell. You know, back then, people usually went by their initials rather than full names, unless, uh, well, women would often use their first name, but men often their initials. So her two brothers were Casey Russell, who was a pastor, he was a conference president, and he was a General Conference Religious Liberty Secretary. Her other brother, E.T. Russell, was also a pastor, and he served as a conference and later as a union president. So she did come from a ministerial family. However, she decided that she also would like to be a minister or at least a preacher. And so she started preaching around in New York and um, apparently with some success, uh, we have a timeline that I'll be showing you in just a little while, but she went from place to place with her husband who incidentally was a newspaper editor, or used to be a newspaper editor, and he was very, very good at promoting things. And so uh, when they would go from place to place, he would be sure to contact the newspaper and put in an advertisement. I have an interesting one here. It says, $100 reward. And of course, back at the turn of the century, in 1901, $100 was a fairly big sum of money. It says, $100 reward will be paid at the gospel meeting in the town hall, Thursday evening, January 3, 1901, to any person or persons presenting one or more tests of scripture that read or prove that the first day of the week or Sunday is the Sabbath, or that Christ or the apostles ever observed it as such. Lulu Whiteman. Another one. Say, what day is the Sabbath? The first day or the seventh day of the week? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Christ made the Sabbath. And then he gives some texts here from Mark, uh, Mark 2, 27 and 28, John 1, 3, Colossians 1, 16, and Ephesians 3, 9. Inasmuch as the fourth commandment of the Decalogue enjoins the observance of the seventh day as the Sabbath, is it not a matter of vital importance whether we keep it or not? A series of Bible lectures upon this great question, for the Sabbath question is now one of worldwide agitation and important. It will begin in the town hall on Thursday evening. Even a criminal is guaranteed the right of a trial by jury. Why not give the truth of God a hearing? So, uh, clearly, her husband was an excellent writer, an excellent promoter, and he worked alongside her, and uh, they started uh, back actually even before the turn of the century, and word went out that Lulu was preaching. So now we're going to look at an interesting letter, a letter from J.W. Raymond, 
who, according uh, to the records of that time, was vice president of New York Conference. And they were holding tent meetings. And this is in regard to Lulu and her husband, John. Dear Brother Hen, I have written Lula, but he means Lulu. She and her husband are now in Hornellsville. The situation, giving her as terms that she will receive some remuneration for her service, if she goes with us, but that she will be expected to abide by the action of the auditing committee as to amount, and that, in case her husband comes, he will be expected to do so without any expense to the conference. So, from this letter, does it sound as if the conference is very eager to have Lulu and John come and help with these meetings, these tent meetings. We don't know the exact circumstances, but clearly it sounds that they will be giving uh, some remuneration, but not for her husband. And who decided, did you catch, who decided uh, the amount of her remuneration? auditing committee. So it wasn't just Elder Raymond who decided. It was a committee who decided. Well, this is in 1896, and uh, as I said, Lulu had been doing some preaching before that time. And here is a letter that Lulu wrote back. This is a portion of the letter that Lulu wrote back to Elder Raymond. We had a meeting here Sunday evening. We have put it in the daily papers, probably something very similar to what I just uh, shared with you. We have put it in the daily papers. It's well advertised. We should be pleased to go with your tent company could we make a living out of it. But we are having grand opening here for our work. So what Lulu wanted was for the conference to pay her a higher amount of money and also pay for her husband to come along. But that's not what they had agreed to, the uh, auditing committee had agreed to do. So now we have a portion of a letter from Elder Raymond from the New York Conference to P. Hinn, who is said to have been the treasurer at that time. He quotes Lulu's letter that I've just shared with you and then he says something really, really interesting. He writes, So, it would seem that she has gone into ministerial work, but somehow I feel a proclivity of adverseness to such procedure. What do you think that might mean? I found that to be really interesting. As much as some people like to talk about Lulu Whiteman and all the wonderful work she did, and she may very well have. She uh, did preach in the late 1800s. She did come from a ministerial family. But this is very interesting, what Elder Raymond wrote from the New York Conference. So it would seem that she has gone into ministerial work. In other words, separate from the conference. But somehow I feel a proclivity of adverseness to such procedure. He then, in the same letter, talks about a sister Stowe, 
who is the wife of a minister. And you might recall when we talked a couple days ago about who received ministerial licenses. In fact, the first lady was indeed the wife of a minister. And she was working together with her husband uh, in the ministry. And that was encouraged by Ellen White, this team ministry of husband and wife. And so in this same letter where he says this about Lulu, Elder Raymond says that he sees no problem with giving full reimbursement for Sister Stowe's traveling expenses to come and work with her husband, Elder Stowe, at these tent meetings. So here again we see the conference supporting the work of a minister's wife who is working alongside her husband which uh, evidently at this point anyway was not the case of Lulu. There continued to be promotional articles by the Whitemans regarding their work, and you can find them in something called the New York Indicator, a publication back then, August 12, 1896. They describe their work in Hornellsville and that Lulu spoke 20 times and that the halls were thronged. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, thronged. Was it hundreds? Was it more? Uh, we don't know. On October 12, 1898, also in the New York Indicator, they're writing from Silver Creek in New York, the GAR Hall. Anyone know what GAR stands for? It's the Grand Army of the Republic, the G.A.R. Hall. She describes it as a commodious hall that had heat and carpeting. And in this report, Lulu makes a call for literature that people could send in and that her husband during this time is going to be working as a cult porter, which is interesting. Then... There's another report, November 16, 1898, in the New York Indicator, from Silver Creek. Four souls from these meetings that Lulu was having, four souls began keeping the Sabbath. The Methodist minister was opposed about the teaching of the Sabbath, and he gave a public address about the Sabbath versus Sunday, of course, supporting Sunday. And at the end of that meeting, Lulu arose and announced that she would have a response to this the next night. Well, people came to hear her in the hall the next night where she refuted what the Methodist minister had said with some apparent, apparently some good results that people could see the difference of what the Methodist minister was saying about Sunday and what Lulu Whiteman was saying about the Bible Seventh-day Sabbath. Now, it's very interesting to look at the history of the licenses and credentials that were granted to Lulu Whiteman and to her husband, John. Although sometimes it's not very easy to find documentation like this, especially since there was a period of time where the General Conference, they started publishing a yearbook, and then there was a, a time uh, in the 
around the turn of the century where they decided, no, it would just be uh, the kind of information you would normally find in the SDA yearbook you could find in the General Conference Bulletin. So uh, this is what we can find where you see it says GCB, GCB 1901, uh, people were called, by the way, who had licenses, a licentiate. That was a person who held a ministerial license. And again, a review about a ministerial license as opposed to a ministerial credential. Uh, what's the difference between the two, between a ministerial credential and a ministerial license? Yes, a license was for preaching and evangelism, but did not allow the holder to act like an ordained minister who was able to do the ordinances, such as the Lord's Supper, baptism, uh, establishing a church. So the General Conference Bulletin in 1901 lists Lulu as a licentiate, and she was living in Canon, uh, boy, I'm not sure how to say that name in New York. If there are any New Yorkers here, maybe you can help me out. But anyway, that's where they were living in New York in 1901. The General Conference Bulletin in 1902 uh, lists the exact same as the 1901 uh, General Conference Bulletin. And then we have a yearbook in 1903. They decided to start publishing the yearbook again. And interestingly, in the yearbook of 1903, we see Lulu's husband, John Whiteman. He is listed in the Religious Liberties section in the New York Conference. Lulu is still listed as a licentiate and they are now living in Rome, New York, according to the yearbook, because at that time, the addresses of everyone listed in the yearbook, or at least uh, uh, people working for conferences, they were listed in the yearbook. So that's how we know where they were living. So they were in Rome, New York in uh, 1903. 1904, it was the same. John was still listed. Uh, in Religious Liberty for the New York Conference, Lulu was still listed as a licentiate, but now they were living in Conwango Valley in New York. Interesting, let's go back again just a moment. This is 1904, uh, and you see uh, the listing again, John in Religious Liberty, Lulu as a licentiate. At this time, we see a letter from John Whiteman to Elder S.H. Lane, who was the New York Conference president. It's September 2, 1904. And he is not happy with the amount being proposed to give to his wife, Lulu, from the conference. And this is what he says to the conference president. And uh, when you see any, uh, if it's italicized, that is where it was emphasized in the original letter. He writes, 
Mrs. Whiteman's personal work was considered by three or four former committees as being that of an ordained minister, unquestionably. Now notice, he doesn't identify what committees uh, he's referencing here, what committees considered her work to be that of an ordained minister unquestionably. And then he goes, he continues on, and yet at Oswego they felt, Brother Daniels and Thompson, and he lists other names, that a woman could not properly be ordained, just now at least, and so they fixed their compensation as near the ordained rate as possible. Now, let's uh, analyze this statement a little bit. They felt, meaning Brother Daniels and Thompson, that a woman could not properly be ordained. This is written in 1904. Um, I don't know if we still have the microphone somewhere, but let's continue. Uh, I, I like to be interactive with you. Uh, who could say, what, what is a uh, problem with this statement? Anyone? Just raise your hand. Okay, we have someone, uh, brave soul here. Mrs. Whiteman's personal work was considered by three or four former committees as being that of an ordained minister unquestionably. And yet, at Oswego, they felt, Brother Daniels and Thompson, that a woman could not properly be ordained, just now at least. And so they fixed her compensation as near the ordained rate as possible. The one thing I see in there is the uh, three, the two or three uh, conferences had had uh, talked to her, but they never mentioned them. That's like saying they said, but there's no proof as to who they are. So you can't argue that fact. You can't come up to whys and wheres that type of thing. And who are the two brothers that were they allowed to give her the amount they were supposed to? There's a lot of indecision there. Okay, anyone else? Well, the phrase, just now at least, sounds to me like it's a cultural, makes it sound like it's a cultural thing and that maybe at some point in the future it's going to be acceptable. Okay, that it could be a cultural thing. Anything else? Well, it says uh, we felt or I felt instead of, you know, uh, using the Bible. The Bible does not allow women to be ordained. And so in this letter, the Bible is not considered. Okay. It's going by feelings, rather. Okay. That's true, but there's something else related to that, and I see a lady who, oh, there's one here, oh, two here, and then we'll come back to you. Good discussion. Thank you uh, for, for participating here. Hold on, we'll get to you. Something else. Think about who, who's Brother Daniels. The, the initials are A.G. Daniels. Well, according to what you had said, she never was ordained. She was, had the lic 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 whatever you said, but, you know, she was not ordained. 
So. Yeah, she she wasn't ordained. That's that's right. And um, one more, two more, and then uh, we'll continue on here. There's something in particular I'm looking for about this. Okay, uh, the lady in the. Okay. When they say that the two gentlemen gave her a commission as close to the ordained amount, they're kind of saying, well, see, they're trying to compensate her as close as they can until women are ordained, is kind of what I'm reading into that. Okay. In, in other words, like they are agreeing that, okay, we can't actually ordain you, but we're going to do as close as we can. Okay, yeah, yeah. And if we could please keep this statement up on the screen. Okay, right here. What first jumped out at me when you first read that was the former committees as being that of an ordained minister, unquestionably. Was she baptizing people? Was she doing the work of an ordained minister but just had not been ordained? That's what that implies to me. Right. Yes. Very. I would have a problem with that. Yes, yes. Okay. There's something else, and, and your statements are very good, but there's something else that's really interesting for us to consider today. Notice, and yet at Oswego, they felt Brother Daniels and Thompson, and then he lists another name, another name, that a woman could not properly be ordained. Who makes the decision as who can be ordained? Who was it? Or maybe I should say what body had already determined the qualifications for ordination before this time? Yes. Going back to the Gospel Order Visions in the 1850s, going back when it was decided that they would have ordained credentials, or ordained minister credentials, and then ministerial licenses, and it was Bible-based at that time. But what we see here is they are personalizing it. He is personalizing it as if it's just a decision by Brother Daniels and Thompson that his wife can't be ordained. Do you see that? Let me ask you another question. Do we see anything similar like that going on today? That maybe it's someone's personal decision that women can't be ordained, even though the general conference in session three times has decided that women cannot be ordained to the gospel ministry? Is that a decision made by a person or a small group of people, yes or no? No. That is a decision that can only be made by the World Church. So if you ever hear that this is because of a person who maybe is acting like a pope or a small group of people, this is not the case. This is decided by a general conference in session. 
And uh, this was the same argument being used, very interesting, uh, more than 100 years ago. Here, let's continue with John Whiteman's letter to Elder Lane, who's the New York Conference president. He writes, I do not think that any will deny that we are doing the work of two ordained ministers. So now he's arguing that his wife, Lulu, and himself together, they are doing the work of two ordained ministers. So, of course, implying they should both be receiving the salary of an ordained minister. So it equals two ordained ministers. Certainly, we bring the people fully into the truth and can do everything except that which man sees fit not to privilege. And he, again, he emphasizes man, that which man sees fit not to privilege, the right to organize churches. We have secured the following churches, and then he lists six churches that they helped raise up with a few members. So let's go back again and look at that. Here's another argument. Yes, except that, man, that which man sees fit not to privilege, the right to organize churches. Now, yes or no, the right to organize churches, is that one of the functions of an ordained minister? Yes or no? Yes. Next question. Is that the only function of an ordained minister? No. And yet, when we look at this, it implies that they're doing everything that an ordained minister can do except the right to organize churches, which, at least from the records that we have, is not the case. So continuing on in his letter, Mrs. Whiteman's labors are recognized as worth $9 per week as a licentiate, and the work itself equivalent to that of an ordained minister. I am certain you will do right in the matter, for you appreciate what is being done. God bless you, your brother John Whiteman. So this was his letter to the conference president, but of course, did the conference president have the ability or the right to ordain Lulu Whiteman? No. Did the union conference president? No. Did the general conference president? No. So let's continue. Let's look at the licenses. YB, that means yearbook. Yearbook, 1905. John and Lula are both listed as licentiates, meaning that they both were given by the New York Conference minister, or, uh, yeah, ministerial licenses, meaning a right to preach, so they had uh, licenses. In the yearbook, 1908, very interesting, John is listed in religious liberty in the department there, and he's also listed as having a ministerial credential, which is very interesting, and that uh, is in the 1906 yearbook. However, Lulu is still listed as having a license, 
And uh, now from 1905, uh, where they were in Lakeville, New York, they have now moved to Hemlock, New York, according to the yearbook. Then in 1907, we see it's the same as 1906. John is listed in the Religious Liberty Department and holding a ministerial credential where Lulu still has the license, but they've moved again, this time to Rome, New York. This is the Seventh-day Adventist yearbook that we still have today that comes out every year for the entire world church. And uh, just as we have it today, um, it's... uh, there are, well, today, of course, it's much bigger than it was back then. Today, it's divided into the 13 world divisions and the fields and so on, and then in the unions and in the conferences. Um, back then, there were also divisions, just, I mean, divisions within the yearbook, uh, different fields, different areas, and they were listed under New York. Is Lulu the only female for 1900, 1905, 907? In which year? During this time frame, the 1905 to 1907, is she the only woman that was she, serving? She is not the only woman who has a ministerial license. The 1908 yearbook, this is where it gets especially interesting. The 1908 yearbook, and thank you for that good question. Again, to clarify, this is the Seventh-day Adventist yearbook that covers the entire uh, General Conference, the whole, uh, all the workers at that time. According to the 1908 yearbook, John and Lulu moved, and here's the address, 663 Ralston Street, Reno, Nevada. Now that's a long ways, isn't it, from New York. At that time, Reno, Nevada was part of what was then called the California Conference. Of course, since that time, we now have Northern California Conference, Central California Conference, Southern and Southeastern California Conferences, and Nevada is now part of the Nevada-Utah Conference. But back then, uh, Reno, Nevada was part of the California Conference. So John and Lulu moved to Reno, Nevada, part of the California Conference, and uh, notice this. Very interesting, in the 1908 yearbook, both John and Lulu are listed as ministers in this yearbook. Does that mean that Lulu was ordained? Not that we know of. There are no records of her ever being ordained, even though she's listed in the 1908 yearbook with other ordained ministers. Neither John or Lulu in that yearbook are listed under licentiates. But it gets more interesting. In the 1909 Seventh-day Adventist yearbook, John is listed as a minister, an ordained minister, and he's listed as the Religious Liberty Secretary for the Central Union, located in College View, Nebraska. This, of course, nowadays is the Mid-America Union. So one year they moved from New York to Reno, and then the next year they're listed back in the middle of the country, College View, uh, which is really uh, near 
Lincoln, Nebraska. And Lulu is now back under the licentiates. And we have a question here. Do we know the reason why they were moving? Were they moving for monies? Were they moving for credentials? That's a really good question. Because sometimes they do that. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm reading this and it's coming to my mind that it's usually a money issue or a, a, a license issue. Right. I'm saying license in your vocabulary, not, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Ordained uh, position. We, we don't know for sure why they were moving. they would have definitely said ordained in some of these letters if they were ever ordained, correct? You would have oh, got somewhere. it would, it would. Right. Okay. It would. Um, but we can assume that he was ordained. We because uh, there there is evidence for that, but there's not evidence that Lulu was ordained. And it could also be that they were called. So they could have been called by a conference or a union. But it's interesting, generally uh, that that's an awfully quick call to go from New York to Nevada to Nebraska that, that quickly. That, that's very quick, but it doesn't mean it, it didn't happen. It, it could have happened that way. So in this yearbook, Lulu is listed with a license, a ministerial license. They've moved back to College View, Nebraska. And uh, interesting at that time, and th this is the time period uh, that a lot of people focus on where they were involved, the Whitemans, in religious liberty meetings. And there is newspaper coverage on this of a meeting on March 1, 1909, where Lulu spoke, apparently very convincingly, about Sunday observance and, and the government getting involved because uh, you may be aware at this time there were a lot of religious liberty issues going on in the United States. And she also was invited to speak at the House of Representatives of the state of Missouri. So that's very interesting as well. And of course, her husband was very proud of that. And it is interesting that he is the one listed under religious liberty in the yearbooks and Lulu is not, and yet Lulu, we know that Lulu spoke at these meetings. So uh, that would be something interesting to, to research further why that is. So let's continue. The 1910 yearbook. Uh, in 1910, they have now moved from College View, Nebraska to Kansas City, Missouri. And John is listed as a member of the Religious Liberty Association and a minister in the Central Union. Again, this is what's now known as the Mid-America Union. Lulu is listed as a licentiate, but this is very interesting. On the errata page, you know, where there are errors, mistakes, this is what we read. In the few pages, sorry, in the few days required to print the foregoing pages, that is the yearbook, 
the following changes were reported and may be noted on the pages indicated by those who wish to secure the latest revisions of the directory. And then there's a list of the various changes or errors. And there's a notation there that says pages 31 and 211 omit the name of Mrs. Lula Whiteman. In other words, to remove her name from the list of licentiates and remove her name where it lists her name with all the workers and her address. What happened? Why would that be listed as an error there? Well, apparently, she and her husband, John, had become disgruntled with the Adventist church. And uh, according to one writer, there was a difference of opinion that they had with Ellen White on religious liberty. They felt that Ellen White had changed her views and Ellen White was no longer having a correct view of religious liberty. So they were... Uh, differing from uh, Ellen White in uh, their thoughts of religious liberty. And then there's a note that they were dropped from employment by the Central Union Conference because they were, quote, opposed, that because they opposed the church structure. Because they opposed the church structure. That's 1910. And interestingly, the president at that time was Lulu's brother. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we now have a comment here. A question. Or a question? Yes. Um, did I understand that her name was dropped, but here it says they were both dropped from um, the yes. central, uh, you, and, and the correction thing you read earlier was Lulu who was omitted. Right, that was 1910, where she was omitted, and then in 1911 they're gone. Right. Uh, any other questions or comments on that? So what does this tell us? What, we, what can we learn about this? Well, first of all, we don't know the full picture. There are several gaps we, we don't know. First of all, or secondly, rather, no doubt Lulu and John did do some good work through their preaching there were people who heard God's message for this time and gave their hearts to him, especially about the Sabbath. We know that. There are several testimonies that I could share about that uh, that we have uh, in records. Also, we know that they were very active in religious liberty and defending the Seventh-day Sabbath, and also speaking out against 
the government getting involved in religious affairs, which is also a good thing. So there are several good things that they did. Uh, we know that for sure. And I don't wish to diminish that in any way in this presentation. However, there are some other things that we can also learn from, uh, such as uh, should we press for women to be ordained? You know, if, if uh, these uh, letters, particularly of John, it's very interesting. What was the motivating factor? Yes, does because a woman can preach well, and she, she obviously could, she obviously could, and she was a good evangelist. Is that the criteria for why a person, man or woman, for that matter, should be ordained? Is that how we decide who is ordained? Or do we go back to, again, the gospel order visions that Ellen White had in the 1850s that were biblically based. And you might again remember that presentation where we saw what she had in vision and the biblical support for the criteria. And that again is how the church decided, the Adventists decided who should be an ordained gospel minister and then a ministerial license. Who could receive a ministerial license? And I think these are lessons for us today to think about, to really think and pray about. Are we a Bible-based church? How do we make these important decisions? Is this a decision of a one person or a small group of people? Or is this something that affects the worldwide church and needs to be decided at a general conference and session. These questions that were raised over 100 years ago are still pertinent, I believe, today. And I see our time is just about out. I was also going to get into 1881 in the general conference session, but I don't want to rush through that in the last few minutes. So uh, if you don't mind, I'll put that to the next um, session together tomorrow, uh, along with the lady that will be uh, studying tomorrow. So thank you so much for your participation. Do we have any uh, other questions or comments or reflections that you have based on uh, the pre presentation today about Lulu and John Whiteman? Okay, we have someone here. This fellow or left the Adventist movement. Uh, we do know they were involved in religious liberty, and uh, Lulu did write some books. Uh, I have some pictures. Actually, tomorrow I can bring the the pictures to show you. Uh huh. Somewhat what I received from from this and from the information I'm seeing, a lot of the information is coming from a position, as in the position of a card saying I'm this, and that includes the monies that follow that position. 
I see a lot of that in this information that I receive and I'm one looking at. I don't see anything where it's really send anybody sent any opinions Bible based or any informations back and forth of the other sided or the maybe the different sides of this information. Is that do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes. I yes. There is a lot of information out there about Lulu Whiteman on the other side that, that you can read. Just Google and you will see a whole different picture given of Lulu Whiteman. But I deliberately showed you this side because this side has not been heard. And I think we need to hear both sides of the argument. And so if you Google Lulu Whiteman, you will definitely see the other side. But you won't see what I've shared with you presented very much, that's for sure. Okay, well, um, if there are no further questions, I'd like to again just invite you, if you have not yet uh, picked up your copy of Women's Ordination Doesn't Matter, uh, it's available here in the back for just $6 and something. It has a lot of research in it, a lot of questions and answers, and um, we don't make any money on this, it's uh, simply to get this information in your hands. And I thank you again, and I look forward to our time tomorrow where we will be talking about mini-sipe. Anyone heard of mini-sipe? Okay, we'll talk about mini-sipe and uh, definitely the 1881 General Conference session. So let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for being with us today and uh, for the good work that people have done uh, throughout the years for you, including many women, including Lulu uh, Whiteman and her husband John. And uh, we just pray that you will continue to guide this church and uh, bless us as we continue studying about these pioneers. We pray in your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.